everyone. Welcome to the CLS AS Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. My name is Miriam Tinberg. I did CLS 2012 in Amman, Jordan, and then a Fulbright in 2014-2015 to Rabat, Morocco. And my name is Ashley Rivenbark. I did the Critical Language Scholarship Program in 2014 in Hangzhou, China. My name is Kelly. I went to India in Lucknow for Urdu, and that was in 2017. I teach over at Penn State. Uh, I'm a PhD student now over there. And see how so goes. what are you getting your PhD in? Is um, it teaching applied, English? It's applied linguistics. Oh, yeah. Oh, but it's, cool. it's, um, it's my specialization because applied linguistics is a very broad term. It's um, second language acquisition. Mm. So choose that come up when adults are learning additional languages. So do you know what you want to do with that degree after? Um, State department is a possibility. Mm. Um, tenure track teaching position. Tenure track. Yeah research teaching position at a university. Very we'll see. cool. Yeah. And, and so you're a bit of a polyglot, right? You speak all these other languages and you did multiple study abroad experiences outside of I have, Yeah, I enjoy that stuff. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Once I heard about CLS, I'm like, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. So pardon my ignorance, but do, do you ever watch Bollywood films to practice or is that just Hindi? Like is Urdu ever spoken in like the Bollywood yeah. realm? Actually, I mean, this might sound very, um, I guess, politically incorrect, but um, but experts experts have agreed that Urdu and Hindi are practically the same language. The same thing. Okay. Uh, except for like minor vocabulary differences, because uh, uh, Urdu borrows more from Arabic and Persian. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's, I mean, our teachers actually use Hindi commercials to teach us stuff, and it's wow. Yeah. I had no yeah, idea. So, like vocab, yeah. grammar, sounds. I know the, the alphabets are different, but oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. The, wow, I had I thought they were two distinct languages for some reason. That's what I thought too. But even like in my linguistics textbook, it's not some kind of like weird factoid, but it's like yeah, they use Urdu and Hindi as like one of those languages huh. that we think are different, but actually aren't. Yeah, it's used as a as a as an example. So, um, so yeah. So speaking of that, I found. On my Netflix, I've got them all queued up. I haven't watched them yet. I started watching one movie, just one. <laughs> but I was like, I'm, it's not a casual thing to just like try to watch some TV in a foreign language. I'm like, mm-hmm. I have YouTube, I have Instagram, I could just follow so many different um, Arabic speakers, and it's just exhausting. It's not a passive experience. It's like you've got to nope. be in it. So you can't casually skim a text or whatever. So I'm like, I, I can't. So we're we're right there with you for sure. Don't be too hard on yourself. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That that really helps. Yeah. And I really, I was really gung ho. I mean, I, I got the books, I prepped and all that. And I was even considering getting like a, getting a Bible in Urdu. Right. Huh. There's a reason for that because I know the Bible very well from just my background. So I figured I know the stories already. If I can just read it in Urdu, then I'll under, I'll pick it up quicker because I know what's happening. Right. Yeah. Actually, I was going to do the Quran first. But I'm like, wait a second. I don't know. I don't know what this is gonna say. So yeah, but there is one. It's still on my Amazon, like to buy list or whatever. <laughs> but then it just life got hard. Like once I yeah. came back, and then um, I um, I just couldn't find any outlets. Actually, the outlets I thought I was gonna be able to use to maintain the language weren't available to me. Mm. You know, and so it just became became more very challenging. What did you think you so, might have for outlets? Um, more my students, for, for instance. Mm. Um, but once I came back, it turned out that most of my students were actually from Bangladesh. 
Mm. So I was like, oh, man, missed that. Um, what else? There were some other organizations uh, through NYU, also meetups I had lined up, but it mm. just, you know, plus I was also finishing up my master's. Classic yeah. story. Ashley and I have talked a lot about that, mm-hmm. how we don't, really? we don't really yeah. use the language. You devote all this time. It's and like my degree is in oh, I, I Middle Eastern studies. No, yeah. it's so, Terrible. it's I like, I wasted this wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really, it's real. Yeah. It's been a struggle for me to not think like that. This like wasted, I didn't take advantage of the time. Cause it's just like, you just, you have to be in the moment and you can't like regret something that you didn't do because right. in that moment you did what you mm-hmm. had to do for yourself. So, right. but yeah, the realizing that if you don't flex the muscle, it's just going to go is like a really depressing reality. So, yeah. And it's true. I think it's interesting as well. Like not only not being able to find outlets, but if you do find someone that speaks the language mm-hmm. that you studied, kind of navigating that realm of, is it appropriate for me to just start talking the language? Maybe they don't want to speak that language. Maybe they just want to speak English. Is it okay for me to approach people and do this? It's a little different when you're over in India and, you know, it's expected that you speak Urdu, but if you, you know, approach someone from where you studied on the street, they're like, whoa, why are you talking to me in Urdu? Like... <laughs> We're in you know, America. Speak English, like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's I why know. I literally well, like pay a tutor now in Arabic. I'm like, God damn, I got to pay. But. <laughs> yeah. So again, we kind of talked about this at first, but I absolutely loved reading through your self-identification. You put so many different things on here and we have a question on here that says, you know, summarize your identity in a sentence, which is kind of impossible, right? And <laughs> even you wrote all of these different aspects of your identity, straight, yeah. cis male, immigrant, black, LGBTQ ally, conservative Democrat. When you were abroad on CLS, like which of the, which parts of these identity became most apparent to you or kind of at the forefront of your experience? Oh, the stuff, all the stuff connected to skin color. Mm. Okay. Oh yeah. And like, I've, I've lived in Asia before, but it's like, um, in Indonesia, the whole like racist thing, wasn't that and it hit me as hard right and, <laughs> and, and i would say like my experiences in asia like people look at you like you're a like you're a unicorn or something mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right but so i wouldn't say it's because of race per se because they don't have a history of that right but um but uh but what i've noticed um is that the darker the darker citizens are usually doing the more menial jobs mm-hmm. and i've seen that not so much China, because I guess it's further up there and as many dark-skinned people, but like Thailand, Indonesia, I've seen that a lot. I was like, hmm, interesting. That's like the Middle and East, then, too. The Middle East, yeah, and yeah. in South America as well. Like, I've traveled to Ecuador, and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, like clockwork. So, like, I, I've noticed these things, because, you know, you leave America, even in the U.S., in the black community, there's colorism as well, right? Mm-hmm. So then, but when I was in India, that was what really, um, because I, I understood how the case is it caste or caste? I'm always... Caste? I think. Right? That's yeah. what I think, but I, I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Caste is how I've heard it, but... Yeah. Um, so I know, like, the caste system is based uh, heavily on... Uh, skin color plays a part, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically your background and stuff like this. And so I was very, like... Um, I was a little bit nervous, intimidated by going. But um, I had a particular experience um, at the gym where I worked out at. And once again, the managers were lighter... And the cleaning boy was like darker than me, right? But his job was like, you know, he was basically on his hands and knees, like scrubbing the floors, like lifting the weights, putting them back. 
And then, yeah, and then one day I saw the managers actually abuse this, this boy. Hmm. And he was either a boy or a small man. I'm not sure. But they were, like, kicking him, like, right in front of me. Like, wow. I was just like, but it was hard. Like, you know, I was taught, mm-hmm. you know, to respect different cultures or whatever. And that's a, but I gave them, like, the dirtiest look that I could muster. But mm-hmm. I didn't <laughs> But they just, they just did that right in front of, you know, just, like, kicking him and, like, hitting him. And I was like, and so as a fellow doctor person, I kind of felt this kinship, kind of. Even yeah. though it's not, I have no basis for that. I don't know this person, but it was like. I was like, well, yeah. So it, did, did that kind of kinship surprise you? It seems like you were, you were kind of expecting racism when, before you went, right? You were sort of preparing yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'll call it racism, but it's the fact that I understand that they value lighter skin more, right? That's something that they praise. And then, of course, I have to hear from my white classmates, right? I mean, this wasn't like, it wasn't annoying, but it was like funny to hear. It was like, so everyone, you know, everyone else was white. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so said, oh, my God, you're so white. Your skin is so beautiful. Like, oh, your eyes are so green and your nose is so straight. And I had to hear that over and over again. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. But they weren't being nasty about it. They were just, you know, speaking Not about Not aware, yeah. Not aware, yeah. But, you know, it's like, okay. But I get that in Asia anyway. Like, whenever I went to China, same thing. It's like, you know, yeah. What, what yeah, really but- struck me most when I was in, I, I traveled to India for about nine days and sure. it's the same in China, but you'll go into the supermarket and there's skin whitening cream on so, the walls. And it's much uh, more kind of in your face, like you said, that it's like we value lighter skin and it's it's not yeah. sort of this hidden part of society. It's right there in your face at the store. So yeah. I can't imagine I- being on the, the other end of that and having to right, see that right. all the time. Yeah, it's just like so. That was the part of me, like of my of, of all those things I listed. That was like the most because um, you know you, you just look. If it was like half and half, or if it was evenly distributed, like light skinned Indians, dark skinned Indians doing lower mm-hmm. jobs, it, I'm like oh look at that. Yeah, that's there's no pattern. Great, awesome. We've moved on somehow, but it was just like so consistent. And me being who I am, like re- looking into things and overthinking things, just did not make it easier on myself. <laughs> were you one of the few people of color on your CLS program? Like, what was the makeup of your group? Uh, yeah, so there were some um, heritage mm. heritage speakers. So their parents were either their parents or they were born in India as well. So they I'm, were there. And I'm really then, interested in this idea of like that you can be a minority within the group of CLS people and then be a minority in India. And I'm curious if like being black amongst your CLS people and then being black in the Indian context felt the same way or or not even just the CLS group, but like America in general, if being black. Um, Cause I don't know if they would see you as an immigrant in India, right? You'd probably just be American in the way that you self-identify or so you told us right. as, as an immigrant, right? So that's just an interesting maybe perspective yeah. change. I don't know if you had thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how the Indians viewed me. I'm not sure if they knew if I was American or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I, I just, I, I'm not sure. Because I keep thinking, like, in my experiences with Asia in general, like, you know, Will Smith is a worldwide star. Obama, <laughs> the Obama, for instance, right? And people Obama ask, comes up in every call we have. Yeah. Everyone's been called Obama. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just like, you know who these people are. So why is it hard for people to make the leap that, yeah, so you know Will Smith, you know Denzel Washington, you know Obama, you know all these other people. Where's the, why do you expect me to be white? <laughs> 
Right. There's definitely a broad, this disconnect when, and I've experienced this in China, just like I'm sure you've experienced in Asia, is that people, when they think America, they think white. And so I had a a friend that was traveling in Singapore Mm. with me who was black and people kept coming up to him and asking him, you know, do you have any African money that we can like trade you for or the Middle East? And he's like, no, I'm American. So there's definitely a long way to go in, in bridging that gap where people yeah. don't seem to visualize that in their mind. Right. I mean, but some people know. I mean, it wasn't like all over, but like, uh, you know, some people like travels. They didn't you. I mean, other people saw me, so I was speaking to me in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but with, with the group, though, with the group, I think it might have been more generational because actually we didn't actually gel that well, all that well, mm-hmm. except for the person I'm going to refer you to. Um, yeah, I don't know why that was. But they were much younger than me, mm. and and a lot of the, a lot of times it felt like high school. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. I just there was a this wall I couldn't break through. But everyone else was like twenty one, twenty, and That's, I was like thirty three. <laughs> we heard that from someone else who was helping to produce this podcast. She had a similar experience. I think she's like early thirties yeah. as well, and was but, just like, I had finished grad school. These students were juniors in in college, like totally. Yeah. I mean, I was nineteen when I did CLS. I had tur- I turned yeah. twenty on the program, which is insanely young when I think about it. So mm-hmm. I was one of those babies for sure. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, it was just like very cliquish. I thought in a group that small, how yeah. can you further self divide? Especially when you all theoretically should have identities in common, right? When you're put in right. this, yeah. Yeah. It just, I was like, hmm. That's really weird. depressing. A little bit. But, I mean, I guess money played a part in it, too. I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of these kids were, you know, just well off. But who knows? I, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's so, an interesting point that we could get onto, too. The importance of, like, yeah, students being aware of who they're going on this trip with, other Americans, and blah, 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 mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of along that, so this podcast is primarily about diversity and inclusion. We've already jumped right into it real quick. Um, and then particularly in like a, an intensive language learning environment in a foreign country. So we're just sure. curious. We've been asking everyone to, to define in their own terms um, diversity and inclusion because they are such buzzwords these days. And I feel right, like we right, don't right, really right. know the difference between them. So just when you think about it, there's no right uh-huh. or wrong answer, obviously, but curious how you would how you would define them. It's, um, wow, it's, uh, I guess maybe that's where the conservative side of me is going to come out. <laughs> Do it. This is good. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I've just oversold it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, it's diversity. Um, I mean, I guess because of America's history, we do need, it's necessary. We need to have, I feel like we need to have a phase or a moment in time where this is important. But, um, but I feel like ultimately, at some point, we should kind of, um, I don't know, maybe phase it out. Um, because I, I feel like with diversity, that, that buzzword, um, somehow the people who are considered to be diverse are also kind of like seen as the other. You know what I mean? Right? And even though it's good to point out right now, right, because they've been ignored for so long, um, those groups were marginalized, right, mm. um, in, whatever, in whatever way. Um, it's important to do that, to, to bring it to light for people to understand. But I feel like at some point we should just kind of like just be Americans. I mean, that's what we're striving for, right? And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the importance of it. That's how I see it. Um, in terms of what it means, 
I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's still what you think it is, non-white, basically, you know? Mm. Non-white, non-affluent, right? Just, yeah. And what about the, yeah. the inclusivity aspect of it? Oh, so diver- oh, yeah, so diversity. Right, right. So, yeah, so another, sorry to cut you off there for a second. So then other things that are considered diverse would be like a, a conservative Democrat, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. A black person, but conservative ideals, but who's still a Democrat. Or recently I've become more aware of this, you know, uh, white people of European descent, white people who don't do so well, mm. you know, because... I came from the country, I was 10 years old. And so there's this myth in the black community that every white person is like super hot. And that might be true, that might be, there might, there might be white privilege, if that's a real thing. But in fact, there's a whole like swath of the country where, you know, they're just not, I mean, I'm doing better. That's what really surprised me. I was like, wow. I mean, in terms of like education opportunities, mm-hmm. I'm doing so much better, I'm black. And that just like blew my mind. And that's mm-hmm. something that we don't talk about. Like these different, like, um, because these, these categories are not convenient, right? There's not a preset slot we could just like, mm. you know, even though like, I'm not putting diversity down, but you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated. I mean, right? yeah, it sounds exactly like intersectionality. Yeah. But this idea me, like, that you can mm-hmm. be a black man, and so yeah. in some ways you're more privileged than us because you're a man, but we're more privileged than you because we're white and we're women, so we deal with that. And so this the intersectional the intersections of people's identities, I feel like it's, is it's messy. Sort of what you're mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I like but I like this for me, diversity and inclusion is that deeper level. Yeah. You know, because those white people I'm talking about, I'm much closer to them. And I really love what you said when you were talking about diversity and the dangers of making people feel like the other. And I feel like that's where inclusion comes in is to help with that balance. So valuing people's diverse backgrounds, but making sure that they feel a sense of belonging and uniqueness and, you know, psychological safety in whatever setting they're in. So I like that because you don't, you know, you never want to make someone feel so other that they're not a part of something. So I think that's a really good point that you make. It's this whole, the analogy of like, are we a melting pot or are we like a salad, right? Like, are we trying to like melt down everyone's identities to be one, this American ideal, or are we trying to bring everyone's separate identities into one combined bowl? And there's arguments for both, right? Like I think the French version of multiculturalism is like everyone is French. So you end up stripping people of their religious backgrounds, their races, their ethnicities. Whereas in America, I think we we consider ourselves to be a melting pot, although we all know that's not a real thing. This idea that we're all like, we are bringing in all the different ingredients or whatever. And so it is an interesting like, what do we want? Um, and ultimately, and yeah, I really like when workplaces, like what you had said, you don't, if you don't, that's why I think this idea of transparency and honesty and vulnerability, like sharing parts of yourself with other people, because you don't know who you'll connect with on what. So I really like when jobs, I'm applying for jobs now, and I, I always read their diversity descriptions, because usually they're really basic. They're like equal opportunity employer, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes they'll be like, for our company to function, we need to have these distinct voices. And we want you here because you're going to bring totally new perspectives to our product and our workplace culture and whatever. So we value and we need those stories. And I'm like, wow, that's next level. Like having, acknowledging people's age, their class, their ability, all this stuff as crucial to a business model even Mm -hmm. is just a really interesting idea. Everybody benefits. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So then when you say inclusion, what do you mean exactly? 
because I that part of it I didn't really reflect on that deeply. Mm. But it sounds interesting. Yeah. What form? Yeah, I'm still I'm still stumped <laughs> to be honest. So I uh, think you know I've I've been kind of researching this a little bit, and I know one definition of inclusion that's really kind of widely used is this idea of belongingness plus uniqueness. And when you put those together, it creates this idea of inclusion. So for example, like Miriam was saying in the workplace, if we're all sitting and we're having a meeting, or if you're at CLS and you know, you're all in the classroom together, mm-hmm. you want to feel a sense that you're unique and that your differences are being valued. Like you said, you know, because of your backgrounds, you bring unique perspectives and ideas to the table, but you also don't want to feel so unique that you're felt like to be an outsider, like you were saying, the otherness. You want to feel a sense that your unique attributes, you know, help you contribute to what's going on in the classroom or in the workplace. And that's where belongingness comes in so that you feel that you're valued and that you're part of the group. So it kind of takes diversity to that next level of, you know, utilizing the benefits of it and making everyone really gel. Okay. Yeah. 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 And when I think of it, I think of like diversity as let's say stacking the room with color, ability, race, religion. Um, And then inclusion is actually like creating the environments and circumstances in which we can all thrive and be happy and content. So like when I think of a workplace inclusion to me is like, how can we retain employees? Are we recruiting employees from diverse places? Are we sending out, um, this is even just HR terminal, like sending out job postings to places that we wouldn't otherwise be posting, or maybe we put bus vouchers as part of a perk for a job, you know, like getting people from different communities and different um, places, and then creating environments where you're doing diversity workshops, where you're under, everyone understands what microaggressions are, where you're continually doing like um, employee satisfaction and collaboration activities and stuff, like creating an environment where people are seen, respected, happy, content, mm-hmm. part of, like you said, actually, like the gel. Um, which is so much harder. And I think we're in this stage of like, let's just get a diversity quota. Let's meet that. And then Mm -hmm. we have no, and then people leave because they have like horrible experiences and don't feel supported. So if you're, if you're not capable and ready to like handle these different diverse perspectives, it's never going to last. I don't know. I feel like like based on my, I mean, yeah, these are great ideas, but you're right. I mean, for me, I, you know, you get in that situation and then it's just, I I hate that wall, that Mm. wall hit you know and like um and yeah I, I felt that wall when i went to when i went to colgate um mm. upper middle class uh up, i mean very my, my classmates were from like the the, the, the top one percent or whatever and it wasn't even the white students it was white black asian top one percenters mm. even mm. the black the rich black students didn't even look at me like i didn't mm. exist and i thought that was interesting i was like huh look at that wow i was like yeah i was like Damn, you didn't even have to go to India to experience that. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. So it's, yeah, so that I know it's deep, it's much deeper because I'm experiencing these things. And so I think, you know, people have good intentions. They have good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, for inclusion to occur, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it takes a certain kind of disposition because, I, I mean, mm. my clients make it well. I know they meant well. I'm not going to, like, read into right. like, anything area or something like that but but it's just I don't know for whatever reason they just it couldn't at NCLS I mean it just that inclusion was hard it was hard I guess it's I don't know 
It's so yeah. frustrating well, to hear that because I'm yeah, like, yeah. part of me is What's like, up? wow, I just wish like once the old heads go, you know, once the like old, it's a generational thing. It's a, it's an ignorance right. thing because they're older. Once they're gone, everyone's going to be chill. But then to hear, and I know that obviously it exists, but it's easy to pretend yeah. in these liberal circles mm-hmm. that everyone's so social justice oriented, everyone's right. gay or no, you know, an ally, whatever. But re- then you, you come to find out that so many people in our generation and our age, like think like generations prior. And then you're like, God damn, is there hope? Yeah. Like... And they just, I guess, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. And, and it's also like, um, my, my attitude is, and many people are angry about this, but like, I feel as though I wouldn't mind being a bridge builder, right? Mm. Because during the program, somebody said something ignorant, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that got everybody upset. I mean, white <laughs> and brown students included, right? I'll, I'll tell you what it is in a minute. But like, I said, you know what, let's use this as a learning mm-hmm. moment teach that person and someone else said it's not my job to teach you what to do and I'm like yeah I see what you're saying but right mm-hmm. and so I think it starts there a little bit but like if I get an opening I'll do it right because I feel like being that representative as bad as some people might say it is how unwoke it is or whatever but like I feel like just you know spreading that light mm-hmm. is good that person's a step closer to having the right mentality to be inclusive, right? Because they may, they may not know. Look, I said something really stupid when I was a teenager, right? Remember, black kid from Haiti, you know, I didn't know anything about anything. So I went to a predominantly Jewish um, high school. Actually, I didn't even know it was, I was in a Jewish neighborhood until my third year of high school. Where was even it? There were, there were synagogues everywhere, but I just didn't connect. I didn't, I didn't register. I didn't care. Right? I was, <laughs> right. right? But my third year of high school, I'm like, oh, wait a second. Oh, Jewish area. Most of my teachers are Jewish. Oh, I see. Forest Hills in Queens. Ah, okay. Mm. Forest Hills, yeah. So then one of my teachers, Mr. Gould, was Jewish. And it came up somehow in class. And I was like, well, you don't look Jewish. And this man and all of his, I'm sure you guys are cringing now, right? (laughs) But this man and all of his wisdom, Mm. right, didn't get angry, didn't sort of fuss. He's like, well, what does a Jewish person look like? Mm. That was all he said. Done. So it's because of people who've helped me overcome my own little misunderstandings or whatever that I've become the person I am now. Anyway, so what the person said was, this oh, was yeah. during our meeting, a weekly meeting. <laughs> You're going to love this, right? So because the white students were constantly singled out for the whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. Like one girl almost got kidnapped. Another girl got a white marriage proposal. All these different things being stared at. And because technically they are a minority, right? So (laughs) in a place full of brown Indians, there's like four or five white students, right? Or whatever amount. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, now I know what it's like. Now I know what it feels like to be a minority. Mm. (laughs) That's what somebody said. Now I know what it feels like to be a minority. And I mean, it's funny. And I was like, yeah, that's that's rich. But people were upset. It came up eating. And that's when I said, yeah, and that's when I said, I spoke up, I said, listen, I think, you know, we should use it as a learning moment. Another girl whose parents were, were from Pakistan said, no, that's not my job to, to enlighten people. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I understand. I, I see both sides, but it's just the wrong word, maybe. Yeah, it's interesting because Ashley and I have had these discussions because I think, Ashley, I can speak for you. Like, we both would agree with that sentiment, right? That being white women in the U.S., it's not something 
like when we went on CLS, mm. we did experience certain th- I was confronted with my whiteness, my Jewishness, my Americanness in ways that I just am not, my womanness in, mm-hmm. in the US. But for sure, it's like this whole tactful sensitivity, like be mindful of language and words and stuff, I think mm-hmm. is a whole <laughs> other discussion. I mean, I mean, technically, it's true. Yeah, but, but minority like, has a specific meaning, and they use minority in that. I think they meant it in that way. And also, this idea that you go on CLS for two months, and then you're a minority, and then you're back, and you just like turn on the minority switch. Cool, I got a little taste, and now I'm back. That's like right, but you don't have to live. You don't have to daily strip yourself of that the second you leave. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow, you said so many gems. I have so many thoughts, and I think it's really interesting. Try and I know this, Miriam. I don't know about you, but after we gave our CLS presentation at the first annual conference, that yeah. was this idea that I immensely struggled with. Is you know going into learning more about diversity and inclusion and becoming more aware of these issues, it never crossed my mind that when I asked people questions like, "Well, hey, tell me why what I said was wrong," or "Why do you, you know." That I I perceived it initially as I'm just trying to learn where, you know, people that have to be asked that on the daily get really tired of it. And they're like, you know, like you said, it's not my job to constantly teach you. At the same time, you know, you make a good point about wanting to spread, you know, knowledge around these topics and help people out for the future, just like your teacher did to you. So it's this really tricky balance of Right. You know, for different people, you know, different people like you, you approach it in a different way that someone else would. So it's all about kind of navigating and figuring out, you know, how different people approach those kinds of topics. But I, I love the way that you outlined that because it's it's true. It's hard to navigate those kinds of conversations and, and intentions. Yeah. It's, and I and I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt because mm-hmm. like I, I've said some some dumb things. Right. So <laughs> I just give you I give you a little piece. <laughs> Mm, I, yeah, I and we've all made mistakes like was that. Was I being malicious <laughs> when I said that? No, I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what right. I was saying. But that's what I, I think it does. You your know? point of disposition is so interesting because it's. I think that it's in that person's right to be like, I'm not here to teach. I don't want to do the emotional labor. Like that's a that's a obviously a valid perspective. But then there are also going to be people who want to teach, and they shouldn't be made to feel weird. For one, because I almost feel like in this, maybe you would as oh, the more conservative I do it. side I do of it you. Anyway. I teach. Yeah. yeah, but I'm yeah. like, you're, that's clearly why you're going into education, and particularly yeah. like, you know, English as a second language. Like that, obviously, some people are made for it, and some are not. But it is kind of interesting in this social justice era where, and maybe you would identify with this as like a more on the more conservative side. This idea that the self policing of the liberal and progressiveness, you know, which is get can get kind of crazy. Where if you want to teach you're maybe being told by other liberals and progressives don't do that you shouldn't have to do that emotional labor and you're like but i want to and then it turns into this internal thing and like and so it's because we're so hyper aware and sensitive to language and to this idea of emotional labor and everyone we have the internet go find the information that those who do want to help and do have that disposition are are made to kind of be shamed maybe so that's like a whole other thing yeah i I agree. That's, I mean, PC, I understand PC, but it bothers me a little bit. And even like, um, even like Patton Oswalt, he's a comedian. Mm-hmm. He had the, he had the perfect line about this. He said, and and he, what he said was, um, would you rather have, you know, a person who speaks PC perfectly, but hides it in, um, in PC talk, hi, sorry, hides his homophobia, racism, whatever in PC talk, 
right? It sounds beautiful, but if you're really <laughs> listening, it's very racist and homophobic or whatever. Or would you rather have the person, and he did this with a Southern accent, I mean, you know where, right? And the person said something like, you know, and th- that person said in a Southern accent, drop the word queer and like, you know, and you know, whatever other words, right? But if you listen to it, he's saying something quite nice. Now, I can't retell the joke because Patton Oswalt does it so much better, but basically, what do you want? Do you want the appearance of, or do you just want to be yourself and be a good person? Mm-hmm. And I think we're getting like lost. And if you listen to that, it's great. I mean, he just he nailed it perfectly. Yeah, I'm going to check right? that because out. Because people, they, 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 they do a PC speak, but then it's, you know, you can easily manipulate that people that way too, right? Because if you can learn the lingo, then you can just navigate, you can um, hide your, your biases. But the, but, the, but the person who has good intentions, but misspeaks or uh, uh, hasn't quite perfected it because of lack of education or whatever else, their hearts are pure. Yeah, I think so, this, we've, we're sort of losing benefit of the doubt um, yeah. in this culture, and, and giving and people second chances. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah that's, and I'm just like, let's just ease up on that. That's a very interesting conversation. That's like, I can, I I can go off speak plainly. I just want to speak plainly, you know, but it's, it's like a minefield. Right. But that being said, I'm not ignorant. I understand the context. Why? Mm-hmm. It's necessary. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like people like, for example, for example, people are talking to me, right? Black, African-American. I'm like, dude, it's all right. It's Lex. <laughs> See what I mean? Like that. It's like, yeah, hey, man. Even me, I'm like white. I'm like, oh my God, European-American, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. It's like, it's, European-American. You know? I yeah. love that. It's stressful. It's stressful. It is. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're in this whole foreign language discussion and it's like English is hard. You could be in, you know, enmeshed in this culture for however many years, born in it, been in it since a kid and still not yeah. know the right words to, to mm-hmm. use. So yeah. it's language is so important, but also like it shouldn't necessarily be the be all end all. So I think yeah. that's definitely something that we probably have all experienced as being on the other end of like foreign language and different culture and um, yeah. having to navigate that and wanting to be yeah. taken seriously, but not knowing like the right things to do or say and like being frozen right. in that moment. And yeah, for yeah, sure. To learn to forgive and just like, you know, just look at the intentions. But the funny thing is what I love about traveling and leaving the U.S. is how frank people <laughs> are. But as an American, that frankness translates into being rude or being mm. like too blunt. Ah, oh, it's, re- it's so refreshing. It's like, Oh, when I go in the ESL classroom and my students don't know, like they don't know the the culture, they, they haven't been acculturated yet. Right. And I just out, like, hey, you're fat. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 I yeah. got that all the time in China. Yeah. Hey, you got fat or yes, right? I got it. <laughs> Same in the Middle East. It's like religion, <laughs> politics. These are things that you don't talk about at all in America. You're literally taught sex, religion, politics. Never discuss it. They're not for polite company. And then I feel like in other parts of the world, they're like, who did, who did you vote for? Are you Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you whatever? Like, tell me about everything. And you're like, yeah. Oh yeah. Do you want to get married? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess we can keep the convo going about more CLS and India stuff. So we were talking about diversity and inclusion. We've been, we've defined it in like, you know, 15 different ways 
I don't know if it's any clearer to any of us after this, honestly, now I'm more confused, but when you think about India specifically, and you touched on this a little bit, but were there, like, how was diversity and inclusion addressed at all in India? If it was, did you see formalized type things or just like subtle cultural nuances? Um, was so this something within, that, within the group as in like fellow students and Indian teachers, or was that within the greater society? I'm thinking more greater society, but teachers are, that's, I mean, that's also an interesting story too. Like, did you find that there were systems in place or infrastructures or conversations happening about diversity and inclusion amongst other Indians in Urdu or whatever, you know, like within this context, were you able to talk about it or witness certain things happening? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not trying to like make the U.S. seem like, or the West seem like, the best and all. I mean, God, there are plenty of problems, but this whole diversity thing, being sensitive to the other, it's actually one trait I don't think the rest of the world has caught up to yet. Uh, just that's one thing. I mean, for example, so that gym I went to, right? I made friends with this, with this guy across the street, right? Because he looked different. He was like lighter skinned. And I think he was Nepalese. It was a Christian Nepalese. So I started talking to him and he spoke like amazing English. So fine, right? So then I think I brought him up. I, I was like, oh, what a nice young man, right? And mm. he invited me to his church, et cetera, et cetera. I never, I never ended up going, but I mentioned it to my, my host family. They're Muslims, right? They're, um, they're Indian Muslims. And I mentioned to a couple of other people, and they said, oh, don't trust them. They're thieves. I was like, <clears throat> right? They're thieves, they're, they cannot be trusted. And I was like, oh my God, oh. I was like, ah, feels uncomfortable, right? right. And it's funny, it's funny coming from them because they're being brutalized, meaning my whole family, because the Muslims, I mean, they're, I mean, yeah. right now India is like in a turmoil about the whole, you know, cause the government is like conservative or what, I mean, like um, very pro-Hindu and like Muslim men are getting killed, beaten and all that stuff. And to hear that coming from them, I was like, I mean, we don't see what's happening here. Anyway, so then I've got to deal with that. So were there efforts in the greater society for inclusion? I mean, that boy was born in India, by the way. I said, where were you born? He's like, my parents are Nepalese. I'm Nepalese ancestry, but I was born in India. So if he, if he can't be included, if that stuff is still coming out of their mouths, then I don't think that's a concept that's in the greater society. And my, my host family, they're educated. Mm. Well, they're educated. They've, they've been... To the states, their children, families are living abroad, you know. So it's like you don't, yeah, don't trust them. They're they're thieves. And I heard this from somebody else too, like another Indian. So then, right? I mean, did I answer your question? I'm not sure if I went. Yeah, on the I mean, no, no, that was great. I think about that a lot too. I'm like, because when you're in the thick of it out here, you think that like the conversations that we're having are so slow and are so behind the times. This idea of like, why do we even care if someone is transgender? Just let people, okay, marriage. Just let them do what they want. Who cares? But then you're like that. There, in, in so many of these languages, transgender, gay, um, you know, that these these words don't exist in the language, yeah. let alone, like, exactly. there's no representation or visibility in, in culture or society, so. Or nobody cares to, right? Yeah. I mean, now yeah. we have the pronouns they and them, right? Over there, they'd be like, well, yeah. well some places, what? No, <laughs> right? So it's, no, it's true. So it's that, yeah, so for me, based on those tiny experiences, which are not representative of the whole country, but I just... You know, I, I didn't get that sense. And I'm curious if there were 
good moments that you had moments that you witnessed or were a part of where you felt, or you saw people like you felt that race and diversity might've been treated better in India than in the U S if you have any distinct moments of like inclusivity and openness. People always surprise you. They, you know, you can't, I mean, really not being able to generalize is true, but like, um, I was online and, um, and I was approached by a young woman at McDonald's on the line. Right. So she said something, she was trying to pick me up basically. Mm. Right. And I told this to my friend cause I was, I was like, Oh my goodness, what? So I told my, the son of my, um, of my, uh, of my host family. And he was like, yeah, man, that sounded like what it was. So I told him and he's like, yeah, man, you should have said hello or something. Cause I was like, yeah. I was like what is this? <laughs> you know? So I guess that's one, like one little example. Um, like I said, my friend there, David, um, him and I, we, we spent a lot of time together. And even though on paper, we're not supposed to be, mm. you know, I mean, he came to New York to visit me. Right. Oh, wow. So, and we're still in touch now. He was like texting me when he was in Czech Republic saying, Hey man, it's great. And so for me, I felt included because of him and through him, because he was very close to the other, to the other cliques, I guess. And he was a very nice conduit because mm. they would ask the time to go and do stuff. And he was like, Hey man, just, just come along. And that was, um, yeah. I felt that felt really good. I feel that everyone and, has talked mm-hmm. about the ways in which like the CLS group dynamics were in themselves in itself like a challenge or um, yeah. a point of success or whatever. Like you really we are not prepared to deal with the people in our group, let alone you just go in thinking you're going to be good to go in India or Jordan or China or whatever. But then come to find out that maybe some of the bigger hardships or successes or milestones or whatever happened within the group dynamics. And that's a whole other thing. Really interesting. It was, it was tough. Yeah. But then yeah. there was also like um, something else I picked up on, too, in terms of diversity and inclusion. There appeared to be the sense of like academic superiority. Mm. And I spoke with this. I spoke about this with someone. It's just like, yeah, we know you did. You did this program before, like last year or two years ago. Yes, I know. Like I'm a beginner, and you're like, you know, a level two or three. I get it. Like it was just, it was relentless. And I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, it, it was just the way like people carried themselves. I like, knew a couple of in, of individuals, and I mean, look, I, I've got a 4.0 in the masters, right? So it's like, yeah, okay. So all of us have 4.0, but yeah, we've done these amazing things. And I've been to law school, right? I'm a law school dropout. So, <laughs> right. I did, I did the semesters, dropped out the, the, the third semester. So what's, we can hang, man. It's cool. But yeah. it, was, it was like the swagger. It was like in your face. And I was like, oh, so, so I didn't feel included. That's a lack of inclusion. <laughs> not because I'm not intelligent, but it was more like a unnecessary barrier that was being erected. Again, I'm like, okay, I gotta deal with that. Okay. So this this sense of collaboration, even like on the academic level, like just learning the language, was like non-existent either. Wow. You know, hey man, yeah, I know, like I'm better than you, like not better in terms of like I've studied Urdu for like two years. Let's go do some drills real quick. You know, just like 15 minutes. You know, no big deal. Or yeah. let me, you know, but maybe it's just me because I'm a teacher, so I think like that. Because mm-hmm. even when I was in Thailand, like um, I, I would leave work, right? I'm dead tired because I went to bed 3 a.m. the night before, like weird sleep patterns. I would chat with the um the attendant downstairs, like she and her family, her friends 
would like uh, sign sign people up, right, for apartments. So they signed me up. So I would just I would talk to them just like like an hour, you know, I was like hey, blah blah in English. And would you believe by the end of like eight months, they were like they had improved so much. But that wasn't my intention. I was just like talking to them for like an hour every day, you know, Monday to Friday. And I was like, oh my god, your English got really good. So, but that just just that idea just never really crossed their minds. Or if they spoke to you, they spoke really fast and just like. Ugh. Yeah, I have a very. Anyway. I had a very similar experience in my program and it was really sad for me because I have always found the Arabic classes that I have been in to be like the best class and learning environment that I've ever had in college. I thought that people are so in general, really stripped of ego and are so humble because everyone knows they suck. And so ever, and you feel like this survivalist mentality of like no one else gets how how miserable this is and like we're the only ones who understand and also your ears are attuned to hearing foreigners speak these languages so you're also just like it's a sense of comfort and home and whatever so then I would go to these programs that are highly competitive and was just so dismayed at how like this study abroad superiority complex and how people were so unwilling to help because they thought it was a competition. There can only be one American who can be that Arabic, right? There can only be one person who can get a PhD or master's in XYZ. And I'm just like, that has never been my attitude, but it that's, I, in a lot of ways, harder to deal with than any of the other adversity that we might face when we're actually there. Because I don't know about your guys' experience, but Middle Easterners are so like so welcoming of, of foreigners speaking Arabic. They, the, the running joke is that you say like, thank you. And they everyone is like, Oh my God, you are more fluent than me, which gets annoying in its own right. You know, sure. but, but uh-huh. like this idea that it's not like France or wherever, where I hear that they're just like, just speak English. Like, what are you trying to do? Speak French. Like people are so inclusive. So I was shocked to get to these higher levels of language learning and just be so like overwhelmed by how unwelcoming and like impatient people were with my own abilities. Yeah. There can be only one. <laughs> you ever seen that show, Highlander, in the 90s? No? No. Yeah, no. anyway. So, God, anyway, I'm never good when people quote movies or TV. I'm like, uh, yeah, oh I know. God. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, yeah, but yeah. No, yeah. that's good, I always envy because people who do like, that. Because you were like, there could be only one. I'm like, oh yeah, there could be only one Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Did you also experience that in China too? Because like the Chinese also say stuff, but you say a couple of words and they go, wow, that, you speak very well. They're not going to say fluent, but it's like, oh, your pronunciation is so good. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. I'm just, I'm just... You go up, so you're like, oh, I got this, I got this. And yeah, then right. you go into your test and you're like, wow, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't get this. That lady on the street thinks I'm good. <laughs> that's so, God, that's so funny. Why Everyone is so yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 And, but uh, yeah, so it's it, it was good, though. I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, I went and... Um, and uh, anyway, it was, it was a learning experience. Sure. And I hope I was able to impact people, um, you know, in a positive way. So, so we had just com- some final, like, closing thoughts um, sure. about how it seems like you've lived abroad a significant amount of times. Um, but we're curious specifically about CLS, um, how living in India and studying Urdu might have changed the way, or maybe it didn't, but changed the way that you view race or, um, you know, racism or colorism or this this class difference or if that changed that just those two months changed your perspective at all um boy um it just it saddened me a little bit just to see um the situation um like i said that boy being being abused and i just felt like well we've got a long way to go um let's see 
race view changing the way viewed changing the way I viewed race not so much it just kind of like mm. because it's worldwide so whoever's darker it doesn't matter what ethnicity they're from so it just kind of um it didn't really change it for me kind of like just confirm something I've already witnessed um uh let's see it changed the way I thought about language learning mm. that's something else um, in terms of, you know, that's, I'm getting my, that's my background, you know, but um, I realized a lot of the teachers um, were not catering to me. And I know that sounds <laughs> and super entitled, but they taught, because they have PhDs in, lit, in Urdu literature, mm. not in yes. teaching Urdu, yes. right? And so I, I, I even give them suggestions. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Yeah, I was surprised. And she actually implemented them because I told them, you know, I told um, one of my teachers, show us, like, short advertisements, right? Short, you know, because it's, it's authentic language, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting because, you know, stuff happening and mm-hmm. short. We can actually listen to it and practice. And mm-hmm. she did that. And a couple of other tips. But then... Not, I'm not knocking them because, you know, they are experts in their fields, but I realized then that, you know, teaching someone another language is actually a separate skill altogether, mm-hmm. right? These are PhD holders and, and lit, not language teaching. Yeah. And so let me reflect on that too. I actually reflect on how I learn languages and my needs, you know, and I realized my needs weren't being met and I wasn't able to learn the way I wanted to learn because I picked up Indonesian on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. On my own, meaning like I sought out because I lived in Indonesia and I sought out the resources that I needed. I had a tutor. I used some books. I went out and I actually spoke Indonesian by the end of five months. I was traveling alone. Mm-hmm. But in India, I feel like, you know, I mean, the program means well. And that's good. Some people do pick it up. Right. But it's more of a sink or swim. And um, and the schedule was kind of grueling. And so maybe it didn't really fit into my, even though I can learn, I have an aptitude for languages. It just didn't actually fit into like, right? I mean, there are things I could have done too. I'm not trying to put it all on my teachers or the program, but there were many things I could have done. But you know, at the time, you're just like, whoa, two months. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. So. A lot. Yeah. And everyone learns differently. So it's like you said, it's, it's difficult and I'm sure, as you know, because you you know you're a teacher yeah. yourself, it's difficult to yeah. cater to different learning styles, especially Absolutely. with a new language. Absolutely, um, and it's and it's hard. You know, it's hard for them. Which it is was, another. You know. I mean, when we speak about diversity and ways in which we can improve um, and be more inclusive, right? To bring it full circle, this idea of the CLS program as an entity, like I think taking into account different learning styles and making sure that the teachers and the fellow students and the people who are running these programs understand these different types of learning styles that someone who's an immigrant, let's say, who already speaks five languages and has lived abroad for 10 years might have a different way of like picking up a language than someone who's for whom this is their first trip, this first trip abroad. Right. And understanding who's in the room with you, which is kind of how I think of diversity is so crucial. And I feel like you don't know the impact that you telling these teachers might have you know might have on their future curriculums so you yeah yeah definitely yeah so up. i think that's you know, a really you know, interesting i was point. doing this they're like so do you have anything to tell us i was like yeah 
That's why I love like exit interviews. I love reviews of things. I'm like, yes, I have 12 pages of notes here. I'd like to present with you in ways that we can improve. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't know. I'm like thinking, I mean, I know we're speaking about India specifically and in terms of inclusion too, right? Um, I felt it was much easier to, for, for whatever reason, I'm not going to ascribe it to anything, but much easier to communicate with the average person outside, right? Because I, I was getting into conversations with the guy who, um, who, who sold me rice on the street in Indonesia mm. or the waitresses, like extended. They were like, huh, let's, let's get into this, you know? But then I just didn't feel that. I mean, I tried to do it with the, with the rickshaw driver, you know, a little bit. And him and I had a kind of an understanding because I would see him all the time. We would like wave to each other, laugh and smile or whatever. Um, but yeah, but that was, yeah. 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 Anyway. That's, always, that's the advice I give to people who are going abroad. I'm like, do your homework, especially on a CLS program. Do your homework is cool. You want to get your grades or whatever, but you're going to learn more from the people who are selling falafel mm-hmm. and from the taxi drivers and from, yeah. you know, the random chance encounter with so-and-so. So like lean into those things. Cause what, what seems trivial in America or even worse, like annoying in America to do customer service or retail, inter- you know, whatever those interactions are can be like crucial language learning steps for you. Cause it's a casual language you know, being used in real life. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I always give that advice. I'm like, engage with the people who are selling you things and who are like feeding yeah. you and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so when thinking yeah. about advice that you might give to um, people studying abroad specifically, like people of color or other minorities or underrepresented groups, um, specifically when traveling to India, but more generally when traveling abroad, do you have any, do any pieces of advice or things that you wish you'd been told before come to mind? Well, first of, well, first of all, go, <laughs> go. No, seriously, because I've been at this since um, I, I took my first solo trip when I was like um, like 25 or something. Because before that, I traveled. Never mind, like 19, right? Because I studied <laughs> abroad in Europe, um, Israel, and South Africa, right? So that's when I did all, I, I did all that. And you don't see a lot of, you know, diversity, right? That there isn't that much. And I was always like, why, why, why? But after a while, I just got used to it. I just got used to it. My brother, he's younger than me. He's 26. And he tells me that black people are traveling more now. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Where were they when I was, you know, globetrotting, you know? Um, and so that's the first piece of advice is go. And basically don't, you know, if, you're, if they're having doubts, don't because you're gonna grow, right? Um, you're gonna learn so much, like about yourself and about how to handle people in general, right? Because you, you pick up a lot of good people skills. Because um, you know, culture shock is real, but then, other than being really painful, it just reveals the things that you take for granted. Because we're walking around with our heads, American culture in our heads. We have no idea what it's all about. It's just down there. But when you go out, it comes to the surface and you, you know. And what else other than going? Um, don't take it personally. Don't take people's... Um, Ooh, that's people's, good. Yeah, no, really. Um, it's, it's not going to do anything because that person, because trust me, I, I went with, with my angry black man face in China. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't do anything. Nothing happened, <laughs> right? So the thing is, uh, is to keep an open mind and you're not alone, right? Because as bad as I thought it was in China, for instance, 
they're good people all the time, but I, I was so focused on, you know, on, uh, uh. so just start small, um, find a person that you can build a bridge with, you know, in common. I didn't go through all this in India. It was fine. I was like, I was cool. I was like, you know, a seasoned traveler. Well, <laughs> I mean, if anything, most of the issues were with the other Americans, you know, yeah. however small those things were. Right. But, um, but, but the larger society, even though, you know, people were saying that, Nepalese people are thieves, don't trust them, and that boy was getting kicked and all that stuff. I was still like, okay, right? But then, you know, just learn, just don't take it personally, go, and so, I mean, keep an open mind, build bridges, start small, right? And, and yeah, so that's, that's what I have for now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, because it all, it will just, you know, it will all, I mean, after years of, you know, if, if you do go, right, it will all fall into place. Mm. Yeah. Either either then or a year later, you, you're gonna that experience. You're gonna regurgitate it. It's gonna be it's gonna be swirling around your head. And actually, that might sound silly to say, but the harder the experience, the more you get out of it. Actually, mm-hmm. definitely. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yes, that's a good life lesson in general. Honestly. Yeah. Travel aside. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Seriously, I've got nothing nothing profound to say about Indonesia I've got a ton of stuff to say about India or you know like things that that went over or even like China for instance I was like yeah that was oof yeah you know so it's that's what I always tell people I'm like yeah cry every day I cried in the taxi so many times it's fine because you're gonna a remember that and those make for great stories but also b the things that are gonna come from those moments of tears or anger or whatever mm-hmm. are probably gonna be either really good lessons good memories yep. moments you learn if you're just chilling you're not gonna learn anything it's like being back home, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's like it's like contrast that that really brings it to the surface and lets you know who you're really all about. Yeah. Are you a cranky person? Are you an easygoing person? Are you a you know, just like, oh, that's how I am? Cool. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. Well, this was such a good interview. Well, I had a blast. I'm yeah, glad. thank you so much for hopping on the nervous. phone with us, yeah. dealing with yeah. the technical this is difficulties. A, I think this is the first time that we've, I mean, we've, everyone's experiences have been so different and it's so enriching to learn about all of them. But I think this is the first time we had such an in-depth debate and discussion around the idea of diversity and inclusion itself on this podcast. So I think, I know I learned a lot. I think people listening will like really take a lot away of like the different nuances with this topic. Cause it's not so simple as just like diversity and inclusion. It's this buzzword that's going around. It is complicated. Yeah. And messy. Mm. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks so much everybody for listening to our podcast today. We want to give a special shout out and thanks to CLSAS and CLS ambassadors for supporting this programming. And if you guys want to learn more about CLS or CLSAS or be on future episodes of the podcast, go to clsas.org and then the media tab. And thank you listeners and participants of the pod for being open-minded and willing to jump into these tough but important conversations. We would like to credit Creative Commons for their music clip, Campfire by Scandinavians.